to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. The fears and expectations that uh, President Trump would not accept the results of the presidential election have not only materialized, they're also now a full-scale strategy that the GOP appears to be using to try to cling to minority rule and disenfranchise Democratic voters in a number of cities across the country, especially black and brown voters. This week, as the president rage-tweeted about his delusion that he actually won the election despite the results, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo told reporters that there would be a, quote, smooth transition into a second Trump administration. That statement has further fueled fears of a Republican political coup. Meanwhile, most Republican officials and lawmakers have either lent false legitimacy to these claims of widespread voter fraud, or they have set dead silent. Yesterday on the show, we had a compelling conversation with political scientist Thomas Schaller about the dangers of this moment in our democracy. And today we want to speak with someone about the constitutional implications of these attempts to discredit our most precious institution, the free and fair elections that keep this country going. That is where we want to begin the conversation today. And I want to welcome somebody to the show who will help us think this through. Brian Kalt is a professor of law at Michigan State University and author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. Brian Kalt, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. So let's start with your overall assessment of where we are at this moment. You have the president, as I said, rage tweeting and talking incessantly about the idea that he didn't, in fact, lose the presidential election last week, that he won that election, and that all these votes that are still being counted in many states are, quote unquote, illegal. Uh, where does that put us as a nation? Well, usually what happens is the results are obvious and certain things move forward, like resources for the transition. But things don't actually ever become official until states certify the results until the Electoral College votes in December, December 14th this year. Um, and so what this does is it, it sort of extends that period of uncertainty. We, we, we know who won the election, but it, it's going to, more is going to turn on those steps that make it official, and those steps don't happen for a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have been talking with lots of people, of course, since last Tuesday about this and hearing from lots of people who are super concerned about what's going on. And they seem to be hanging on every quarter turn of the drama and every word that comes out of the president's mouth or other GOP leaders. And one of the things I've been I've been counseling is is to kind of take a look at it from the perspective of what is supposed to be happening right now and what is actually happening right now. I mean, I think we're a little ahead of ourselves in terms of the idea of whether the president will do something that, that suggests he wants to stay as president even though he lost the election or, or damage the Biden presidency uh, on its way in. The things that are supposed to be happening right now are that the votes that were cast last Tuesday, even those that continue to come in 
through mail are being counted uh, in the states where there are automatic triggers for things like recounts. That is supposed to be taking place and it's starting to gear up in places where the president has filed suit against the, the, the process saying that he thinks that there is fraud or other kinds of mischief. Those cases need to be adjudicated and that's happening. And so in some ways, I think you have to kind of think of think of this as two different things. There is the drama about what's going on. And then there are the things that are supposed to be going on. And we're not yet at a point where there are things that are supposed to be happening that aren't happening other than the president himself just accepting the results and saying, hey, look, I lost and I and I concede the race. Is that is that is that a fair way to interpret what's going on? Yes, um, <clears throat> I think that's a fair way to interpret it. And I think it's also important to distinguish uh, the effects of that. There's the effect on the election result, and then there's the effect on perception of the election results. A lot of what President Trump is doing is sort of setting his narrative for what he's going to be saying about this election for the next four years. Uh, he's talking about running in 2024, which he can do if he if he loses mm-hmm. in 2020. Um, so, so there's, um, of course, he's saying one thing that has those two sets of effects. But as far as the effect on the result in this election, what's going to happen to this process, it's it's far smaller. It's far less likely to do damage. Um, casting doubt on the legitimacy of the election going forward to the 70 million plus people who voted for him, that will do more damage. But um, it, it's not going to stop uh, states from certifying the results. It's not going to stop the electors from casting their proper electoral votes. I, I, I suppose that'll be the next uh, sort of gut check uh, when when he's going into court, not with these. I, I don't even know what he's doing. This is a lawyer. I, I wonder if, if you look at what the lawyers in, in court are saying, it's very different from what the, the uh, spokespeople on TV are saying. They're, they're saying, yeah, you know, actually, we don't really have anything here that could change the result. But if he starts filing lawsuits to try to get a court to order the state not to certify Biden as the winner, um, that's um, unlikely to succeed. But mm-hmm. but that's where we would have a potential issue, right? That's where we have to say, OK, well, now it's not just things going along, along automatically. Now the court actually has to do the right thing, the mm-hmm. obvious right thing. Uh, and. Hopefully they will, right? But, but it's it's a little nerve wracking um, to to have at least the possibility, of, you know, someone going into court and asking for them to do the wrong thing. You, you never know, mm-hmm. and then appealing it. And uh, but I, as as a lawyer looking at this, I'm not overly concerned about that. I would just rather have it not be an issue at all, though. Yeah, yeah. So the New York Times has a story today by Andrew Higgins. Uh, actually, it was published yesterday. About the 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 things that the president is saying and doing, and the company that that puts him in, and they compare what he's saying about our election to things that dictators in countries like uh, Belarus do when they quote unquote lose uh, elections, or or Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe when they cast doubt on the outcome of the election and then use the machinery of government to attack that result and retain power. 
Uh, I, I wonder if you can draw some some context around that and and put the president in uh, in the company of of other U.S. leaders. Have we ever seen a president behave even remotely like this before as the result of of a presidential election? No. Uh- Quite simply, we, we haven't. And um, we've had disputed elections. We've had close elections. This, this one was a close election. Uh, if you look at the margins in, in the states needed to put them over the top, uh, Pennsylvania and Arizona and Georgia, it's closer than it was last time. But it's not so close that it warrants uh, what's going on here. It, it, it was orders of magnitude closer in 2000 for instance. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't someone contesting uh, an obvious result. That was the whole country trying to figure out who won because it was so close. This is not nearly that close. Um, and 1876, we had a, a very disputed election between Hayes and Tilden. It wasn't decided till two days before Inauguration Day. But the difference is in both of those cases, the, the, the candidates were, it was, it was an open seat. We didn't have an incumbent running. And, and so we, we don't have any sort of precedent for the spectacle of an incumbent president who wields the authority, the power that an incumbent president does, casting doubt on the result in the way President Trump has. Um, luckily, our, our system is decentralized because we have a, a federal system. The states are, are running this. So he doesn't control the electoral machinery in all of these states. I think it's worth noting that Republicans uh, control many of these states at issue. So mm-hmm. it's not like um, it's it's not like we can just say, oh, well, they're totally independent. They are partisan officials. But the partisan officials in Arizona, the partisan officials in Georgia, they seem to be uh, doing their jobs here. So it, it's it's a little less fraught because he doesn't have the control over the electoral uh, machinery that uh, Mugabe or uh, uh, Lukashenko in Belarus would. But it's it's still worrisome. It's still worrisome. And I I also would note that it's uh, maybe maybe it's just on social media. It's not at the highest levels, but it's also not uncommon for people to question the result after it's over in 2000 people still say uh some people still say that gore should have won Mm -hmm. uh, that that was stolen from him in 2004 there are people who uh grouse about the result in ohio uh, which if Kerry had won ohio he would have won and beaten bush in 2004 but there's a difference between questioning the legitimacy of the result and actually standing in the way of it being finalized. And I think, I think that's important. I don't think it would be nearly as big a problem. It would still be a problem, but it wouldn't be nearly as big a problem if President Trump was saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I lost, I'm leaving on January 20th, but this was, this was not right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very different from saying I won and by a lot or whatever it is that he tweeted the other day. Mm. So, so I think one of the things that makes people nervous as well and especially nervous is when someone like the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, comes out and says what he said. We are preparing for a smooth transition to the second term of President Trump. It's one thing to have a president who's, you know, irascible the way uh, Donald Trump is and and 
given to to hyperbole in public or on social media and and I think uh you know kind of an outlier. I mean, he 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 is different from other presidents in that way and I think over 4 years people have just become accustomed to the idea that you have to ignore a, a lot of what he says. But then when you have the Secretary of State or 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 someone in the Defense Department for instance and we haven't quite seen that yet, but I think that was Part of what was behind firing the Secretary of Defense earlier this year, this week, and putting putting someone else in the role, then I think people start to think about the apparatus of government being employed uh, along the lines of this of this tantrum that the president is is throwing, and then then it does become a question of whether what we're seeing is an attempt at. Re- rebuking the results of the of of the election and doing and doing something else is that a is that a legitimate fear the 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 sort of circling of wagons by uh, by government officials around this this idea that the president has that he won. I I think that it's concerning, in particular, with the firing of Mark Esper, who had been the. Uh, Secretary of Defense, and now we have an acting Secretary of Defense, one of two acting secretaries in the cabinet. Um, Maybe there will be more to come. But what concerned me about that was that that what I read in the news was that the problem he had with Esper was that Esper was um, not compliant when earlier this summer Trump wanted to turn the military on, um, on the our cities. Yeah. Right. And, and, and Esper said, well, we can't do that. I won't do that. And he always, uh, so Trump was sort of waiting for a, a time to get rid of Esper. So if what you're worried about now is, uh, the, the possibility of the president not leaving and, and you think, oh, well, at the, and at the end of the day, people could take to the streets and, and as we've seen in other countries uh, and make their feelings known that way. And might the president respond by ordering the military to, uh, to quash dissent? Um, I, I think that's, that's a pretty remote possibility, but it's horrifying enough that uh, we have to take it seriously. And if, and if he's removed Esper and put in not the deputy next in line at Secretary of Defense, but plucked someone from another department, as he did, to be his acting secretary, I think that's something to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. The more general point about the Republicans feeling the need to pay fealty to the president, as we saw from his very first cabinet meeting four years ago, where they all had to go around and say why they thought he was great. <laughs> um, that that's That, I think, is less less worrisome about what it means for this election and more an indication of um, the continued power that Donald Trump will have in American politics. Um, maybe people thought if he lost, he would just go away. He's not going away. The base is still loyal to him, and other Republican politicians need to uh, attract that base. So even though he won't be president, he, he will still be someone that they need to have on their good side. Yeah. And, and he has a fragile ego. So that's, that's what we see here. People afraid to speak out against him in public, um, people afraid to 
tell him the truth uh, privately to say, look, Mr. President, you've lost. It's time to go. They're, they're, they're afraid of him. And that's that's a problem. But I, I think we're seeing one by one um, Republican officials slowly but surely are moving to the other side on this. Yeah. Uh, every day you're seeing a few more saying it's over. Uh, and I think by the end of the week, hopefully we'll see enough where m- maybe the president will say, okay, fine, uh, let the transition start at least. Mm-hmm. My court cases will go forward, but um, let the transition start. I think we're almost at that critical mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to take a, a call here for a, a really great and specific question that someone has for Brian Kalt, uh, but but also if you have questions, if you want to talk about this moment in uh, our country and our democracy where we have something of a dispute over the results of last week's presidential election, uh, give us a call. Tell us how you're feeling about that, whether you think this is all show uh, or is a serious attempt by the president to overturn the results of that election. Uh, also give us a call. Tell us what you think uh, that means in sort of long-term context uh, for the institutions that we count on to keep the republic together. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. Let's go to uh, Myrna in Ypsilanti. Myrna, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been wondering about this. States like uh, Wisconsin and uh, Pennsylvania, where Biden won handily, are controlled by uh, Republicans in the state legislature, mm-hmm. and I think, and also in Michigan. But I think there's a law against flipping the electors in Michigan. But I was just wondering, because um, I, because Steve Bannon made the suggestion that the electors should not give Biden his electors; they should uh, replace them with their Republican electors and mm-hmm. give those states uh, to Trump, like, for instance, in um, uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Is, yeah. that, is that something that could happen? That would be like the whole group of electors are faithless, not right. just one of them. Right. Is that possible? Uh, Myrna, it's a great question. I'm glad you called and asked. Brian Colt, walk us through this, this, this idea that state legislatures could decide to do their own thing and disregard the popular vote and say, well, we're going to send Republican electors to Washington from Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, even though the president lost both of those states in the, in the popular vote. So there are a few different steps here. One is the idea of a faithless elector that they're supposed to, they're pledged to vote for Biden, but they end up voting for someone else. We saw seven electors do that four years ago. Um, I, I don't think that that's a risk here. These people are party loyalists. If the Democratic slate uh, shows up at, in Harrisburg or in Madison, uh, they will they will vote for Biden. The the um, the bigger problem, bigger potential issue is whether they are the ones who uh, show up, who vote, whose votes are transmitted to to Congress to count as the official slate from the state, and the state legislature does have uh, a, a role to play here. Um, but it's, I think it's something to take seriously as a possibility, but I don't think it's anything to worry too much about. Here's what would have to happen. Um, first, the state legislature would need to say, we don't actually have a result here, um, that the results are called into question to the extent that we can't really 
say that Biden won. Mm-hmm. Um, this is separate from the process by which the Secretary of State of each of those states would sign off on it, would say, this is the result, uh, send it to the governor, have the governor certify that result. The governor signing the official result, the governor sending that um, result to Washington saying, this is our slate of electors, these are the right people, this is the result, uh, 16 votes for, for Biden or, uh, or 20 votes for Biden, that has uh, preemptive power. If Congress gets that, that's what's supposed to count. Uh, certified by the governor, the, the, the Electoral Counting Act of 1887 mm-hmm. spells all this out. But the legislature could say, um, they're from the other party, they say this isn't legitimate, we're going to authorize the Republican electors to show up, we're going to send that to Washington. They could attempt that, uh, and the Electoral Count Act makes it pretty clear that that should not work, but the Electoral Count Act is not perfectly binding. Uh, It also says that the House and Senate would have to agree to disregard what the governor sends right. before those votes wouldn't count. Unlikely that the House would, would do that. It's controlled by Democrats. But again, what, what, if, what if they say, well, we, we don't need to follow the electoral conduct. They could say that. There is one other statute, and I'm surprised um, at how often this is ignored, because when people talk about the role of the state legislature, they look at Article 2, which says the state legislature chooses how the electors are Selected. Well, yeah, they chose to have a popular vote, and you can't ignore that after the fact. But there's a statute, um, Title III of the U.S. Code, Section 2, which says whenever a state has had an election uh, and they haven't made a choice, then the legislature can come in afterwards and say how or who um, the electors uh, will, will be chosen. So what they would do is they would say under this statute, there is no result. Uh, we had an election, but it's just in too much doubt. And so we think the proper result is is Trump. And so we're going to send this slate of electors for Trump. Um, that's for something like the day of the election, a hurricane comes and, and no one can vote and right. it'll take too long. But like that's what that's about. But they could look at that and they could try um, again, under the Electoral Count Act, I don't think that would work because you would have a governor saying, no, we had an election, we checked everything, this, we, we litigated it, this is legit, and here are the results. So that's, that's how they would try to do it. I, I don't think there's really any serious um, possibility of it working if Congress um, follows the Electoral Count Act. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Brian Kalt about what is actually happening in election 2020, what will happen on January 20th, 2021, whatever Donald Trump decides he wants to do. We also want to continue to hear from you. Tell us what you make of the tantrum that the president is throwing. Make Tell us what you think about uh, the possibility that the things we voted for last Tuesday won't actually come to pass. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
your city, your town, your voice on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Brian Kalt, professor of law at Michigan State University and author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. We're talking about what's going to happen between now and January 20th of 2021. It looks a little different in the aftermath of election 2020 than it normally does. We usually see the winner of the presidential contest uh, prepare for their administration and the loser of that contest come out and concede the election. This year, of course, uh, President Donald Trump has said he didn't lose the election despite what the vote count looks like because it has been stolen from him and that there's massive fraud that took place in cities like Detroit to try to make sure that he didn't actually win an election that he says he did win. What does that mean? Does that uh, just amount to a big show, a big tantrum by the president that will play out and not have any real consequence? Or is this a gesture toward pushing back on the idea of election results having the consequences that they're supposed to have, which is that the winner uh, puts together an administration and begins governing on January 20th of 2021. We want to hear from you as well in this segment. What do you think of all of the things that the president is saying about the election? Uh, What do you think about the things that he's saying he wants to do uh, to try to overturn the results of that election? Uh, does that make sense to you? Is that the way that uh, that he ought to be behaving? Or should he be helping with the transition to a Biden presidency? As always, uh, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and Twitter and put comments there. And uh, we'll, work, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Tom in Royal Oak. Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Uh, I am a, uh, calling as a Trump supporter. I, I would He's the last man in the world I'd want to ever do business with. Uh, <laughs> but I think uh, if one looks over his four years, he has followed through on promises, and they have been, generally speaking, uh, in line uh, with the, uh, the tenor of the Constitution. Uh, and so, therefore, I, I think I have to say that he is uh, doing... Uh, what other presidential candidates have done in close calls, uh, as your as your interviewee has has pointed out, uh, I think it's somewhat wrong to put this in the context of a tantrum or compare it to autocratic uh, governments around the world. And I don't think there should be any fears. Uh, I, I think it's rather hysterical, to be honest. So, so... there would be fears that he would not leave power once the legal processes uh, have, have uh, completed. So, Tom, let's go back four years when Donald Trump won very narrow victories in states like Michigan, uh-huh. 10,000 10, votes, uh, very close, much closer than it is this year, and, and lost the popular vote uh, nationally. I mean, didn't come close to getting the most votes. Democrats and Hillary Clinton conceded the race 
the next day and President Obama invited Donald Trump to the White House within five days to sit down and talk about the things that he needed to know and needed to be thinking about in preparation for his administration. So I guess I don't see how you how you how you don't think that what we're seeing now is really different. And, and you know, we can go back eight years, we can go back 20 or 50 years and find the same behavior over and over again in the White House uh, when, when, you know, somebody's time is over and uh, somebody else is, is going to, to take over. What, 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 what is it about what you're seeing now that, that reminds you of any of that? Are you still there, Tom? Oh, Tom, you hung up. All right. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to have a little engagement with you there, Tom. I really wanted to get at what you were, what you were thinking, uh, Brian. Uh, maybe you can shed some light on what what is so different about what we're seeing from from Donald Trump. And I think we've been really careful during this conversation not to indulge the hysteria about you know a, a, a potential coup or, or or overturning the results. I think what we've been talking about is is the gesturing and the, the the behavior that hints at those things and whether it should be taken as seriously uh, as it seems intended. Uh, but I wonder what you make of, of Tom's point about, well, this is just the way it goes. Well, I, I don't think it is. I, I think that uh, when we talked about that before, I said the only times that anyone has contested the result was when it was much, much closer much, much more legitimately in dispute than this. Bush versus Gore, 2000. That was after the automatic recount. The margin was only 300 votes. It ended up at 537 votes. The whole election turned on a few hundred votes. A recount can change a few hundred votes. It can't change 10,000 votes. It mm -hmm. just doesn't. So uh, this, is, this is out of line with elections that have been as close as this one is. Mm -hmm. And we've had plenty of elections that are as close or closer than this one where there was a concession and that was that. Yeah. And it's only ones like Florida in 2000 or the, the huge disputes in 1876 uh, where, where you have any sort of struggle over, um, over moving forward. Mm, yeah. uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, your guest already touched on uh, some of the things I was going to ask, but I would like to hear him expound a bit further on some of the other changes that the Trump administration has made in the Defense Department and uh, what that means for the constitutional prerogatives of the executive, particularly if there were uh, civil disturbances in key areas. Hmm. Uh, so when you say the changes to the defense, are you talking about firing the defense secretary and moving somebody else into that role? Uh, there have been some other shifts in the Defense Department as well. And uh, Mr. Esper uh, said on his departure that uh, he was going to be replaced by a yes man. And God help us all. <laughs> right. uh, Gene, I appreciate the call. Uh, and the comments, uh, Brian called to give us a sense of how dangerous that is. Well, I, that's a, a bit outside my uh, area of expertise. I do think that there there is just this general structure of civilian control of the military, and uh, the president is um, 
is removing a, a lot of that uh, political leadership from the top, putting in his own people. Um, the, the, the generals, I think, are um, still in place. He's not, he's not getting rid of them or having his new leadership get rid of them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's not the sort of thing in a time where people are worried about potential civil disorder uh, messing around with the leadership of the military is it's it's not something you want to see at that at that very moment. That said, I think we we have structures in place, and um, and uh, I'm I'm not I'm not overly concerned about that. Like I said about uh, the other things, it's it's worth keeping an eye on, but I I don't think at this point it's worth worrying about. But mm. um, that's. That takes us way beyond the, the notion of how the votes are being counted. Right, right. Okay, Brian Kalt, uh, professor of law at Michigan State University. Really great to have you here with us for this conversation. Thanks very much for joining. Well, thank you for having me. We're going to take another quick break here. And when we come back, we are going to take a look at how other countries are watching what's happening in the wake of our presidential election here What are people in other countries thinking about the United States of America right now? We'll hear from a couple journalists who are abroad about that. And we want to hear from you. What do you think of our standing in the international sphere because of all of this drama over the election? Does this make us look strong? Does this make us look weak? Does this make us look like the leaders we say we are? Stay with us for more Detroit Today.